So, it's good to be back. I was able to uh, tune in to Bobby's message last week. I thoroughly enjoyed the service. I thought Bobby did a great job. Uh, I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed everything about it. it. It's different being on the receiving end of the live stream. Um, when there's no responsibility to deliver a message, when, when all you have to do is sit back and enjoy it, it's, it's a whole different uh, way of worshiping. And, and make no mistake, being behind the pulpit is worship to me. But it's worship where I also have a duty and a responsibility. Um, being on the other end and watching the church at work Sunday was uh, enjoyable. Uh, I had a, a bagel in my hand and a cup of coffee. And uh, I, was in, I was in my uh, uh, shorts and a t-shirt. And um, I can understand why people uh, like to tune in on the live stream. But one thing that was really missing was being here with my church family. And there's really no substitute for that. You can tune in on the live stream and it's there for a reason. But make that the exception, not the rule. Because there's nothing more enjoyable than sitting around that table in fellowship before service. There, it, there's, there's really nothing like it. You, you only get the ability to be recharged with, with people of like mind and like spirit every so often. And uh, I highly recommend that you take advantage of it while you are able. So that being said, uh, I want to bring the message this morning. Well, one more thing. I, I have to say, you know, I haven't been... Uh, a regular participant in the Emmaus community. I went through Curcio, which is kind of a, a uh, uh, well, it's the Episcopalian and Catholic version of Emmaus. Um, that was my Emmaus experience. And then I was invited, uh, I guess it's been a couple of years, to be the assistant spiritual director at an Emmaus walk. And that was a good experience. but. Last night was the first time Angela had a chance to experience any of that. And she came to the uh, candlelight service last night. Uh, Bobby and Chris invited us, and so we, we went. And I have to tell you, she thoroughly enjoyed the whole thing from start to finish. And from start to finish, I mean from like 8 o'clock to like 10.30. Um, I recommend, if you have an opportunity, to do an Emmaus walk, you get with either Bobby or Chris. Uh, Chris, if you're a lady, and Bob, if, if you're a, a gentleman. Talk to them about it. Because it's, it sparked Angela's interest in, to such a degree that, that she's actually considering having a conversation with Chris about the walk in the fall. Um, if you want a deeper walk with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's one way to pursue it. And you walk out of there with a deeper commitment to your church, to, um, to your Savior, and 
We do a lot of things as Christians for one another. This is something that you can do that is just between you and your God. And I recommend that quality uh, time with like-minded pilgrims seeking that deeper relationship. There's nothing quite like it to continue your walk in the faith. That's my commercial. Pastor, yes. There's some bookmarks on the back table that have dates. Ah, Bobby says there are bookmarks on the back table that have dates of the upcoming walks. If you're interested, take a look at those. Plus, it's a free bookmark. How can you go wrong? So I'm coming this morning uh, out of the epistle. You can follow along in uh, your bulletin insert, although I am reading from the New American Standard Bible so that it'll be a little bit different, but I think you'll get the idea. So Paul writes to the church in Rome, Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it is through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul's text begins with this profound truth, and I think we need to all take note of it. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He uses that word, therefore. And we all know, whenever you see therefore in the text, we have to see what the therefore is there for. And so we're going to go back just a bit because that therefore refers back to what Paul wrote in the preceding chapter in Romans 7 where he teaches us that freedom from the sin nature has been given to us by God 
through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That inner conflict that we all struggle with. I know it's not just me. We all struggle with it. That inner conflict where we want to do right by God, but we do just the opposite because of our sinful nature. You understand what I'm saying? Have you experienced this before? You want to do right, but sure as shooting, you end up doing the opposite. That, that conflict between wanting to do right and not doing it, that conflict has been resolved for you with the arrival of Messiah Jesus. Our Savior Jesus has provided the solution to that conflict between sin and righteousness. See, because of what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross, taking our sin on Himself, paying the penalty for all sin everywhere, giving us His righteousness in exchange, because of that, those who enter into a relationship with Jesus no longer have to live under that continuous, low-lying black cloud of sin because there's a new power that has taken control of the Spirit-filled life. It's the Spirit of life in Christ. Just like a strong wind blows through and clears all the dust and the pollen, thank goodness, out of the air, freeing you from the oppression, the tyranny of sin and death. That's what the Spirit of Christ does for us. It takes our broken, sin-filled lives and the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blows through and cleanses us of the sin and leaves in its place the righteousness of God. And so, as Paul says, then there is no condemnation for those who are living in the Spirit. And so the question for us this morning, there's always a question, right? The question for us this morning is, am I living in the Spirit? Say it with me. Am I living in the Spirit? That's a good question. Have I chosen to live life in the Spirit or am I still living in the flesh? Is my mind set on the things of the Spirit or is my mind set on the things of the flesh? It's an important question. We should ask it regularly because... There are times when we're doing fine living in the Spirit and then something, circumstances come along and we find ourselves backsliding. See, the answer to that question, am I living in the Spirit, is important because it has eternal consequences. The question is so important that God chose to deal with the question by sending His only Son to set things right. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. He wasn't sitting on a cloud somewhere going, oh, there's an issue down there. Somebody needs to deal with it. No, He sent His one and only begotten Son. It's about as personal as you can get. 
In His Son Jesus, He personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. And that's the magnificent wonder of it all. Jesus dealt with our sin problem by fulfilling the law of God that we in our weakness and our humanness simply could not keep. And so we don't have to do anything to get into God's grace. In fact, there's nothing we can do on our own merit to get right with God. We can't be good enough. We can't be pious enough. We can't be generous enough. We can't be involved in the church enough. We can't do anything enough to earn our way into the saving grace of God because the only way into the saving grace of God is to accept that Jesus paid it all and to choose Him as the Lord of your life. That's it. That's all you can do. It, it sounds simple. It, it is straightforward, but it's never easy, is it? I and mean, we say it all the time, it ain't easy being like Jesus. It's not. And yet, choosing Him is sufficient. Choosing Jesus as Lord of your life. Believing in your heart that He was in fact resurrected from the dead. Those two things coupled together equal salvation. They equal saving grace. That's all you need to do is profess it and believe it. And the rest will fall into place by God's design. The only way into the saving grace of God is to accept that Jesus paid it all and choose Him as Lord, period. No exceptions. I was thinking of another way to express this. And I... I it came to my attention that we can look at this flesh versus spirit thing in terms of guilt, which is life in the flesh, or forgiveness, which is life in the spirit. You can choose guilt or you can choose Forgiveness. With, with guilt, there is condemnation because we owe a debt that we can't pay. With forgiveness, there is no condemnation because the debt has been paid for us. And so you might do some self-examination. What does guilt look like in my life? For me, in my life, before I had a relationship with Jesus, guilt looked a whole lot like self-absorption. My life before Christ was pretty much all about me. My wants, my desires, my needs, my opinions, my possessions. If I chose to do something, it was all about how it made me feel, 
how it made me look to other people. Even if it was something good that benefited someone else, my motive was not usually about the someone else, if you know what I mean. I'm just being transparent here. That was my guilty persona before Christ. Paul says, those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle. I like that phrase. But they never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Paul says focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Do you realize that? Attention to yourself is in direct conflict with attention to God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God. And they end up thinking more about themselves than they do God. The person who ignores who God is and what God is doing isn't pleasing God. Because God is not pleased at being ignored. See, the thing about being self-absorbed is that while it falls in line with the sin nature of the human condition we're all in, it goes against the true identity that God has for you and for me. The true identity that God has for us is one that is God-focused, God-centered, not self-centered. God is a jealous God. So when we ignore God, we're ignoring our true self and that conflict produces guilt deep within us that can only be resolved by forgiveness. And the only way we get forgiveness is through repentance, which leads to transformation. We can plod along in this life being full of guilt or we can move forward into the free gift of mercy and grace and forgiveness that God has for us. It's, it's your choice. Live in guilt or let God take up residence in your life and live in forgiveness. Paul says, but if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, Paul says, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who have welcomed Him, for you in whom He dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. Paul says it stands to reason that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus Christ. 
bringing you alive to Himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and He does, as surely as He did in Jesus, you are delivered from the dead life. See, with God's Spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. The solution to the guilt problem, the solution to the sin problem is life on God's terms instead of our own. Does that make sense? The solution really is life on God's terms. The solution to our guilt, the solution to our sin, the solution to all things is choosing to live our lives on God's terms in Him, through Him, And the result of that is life and peace rather than living life on our own terms, the result of which is sin and death. It's a pretty simple choice. Really is a simple self or God, guilt or forgiveness, bondage or freedom, death or life. Jesus said, I came that you may have life. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. He came that you and I may have forgiveness and have it abundantly. He came that you and I may have freedom and have it abundantly he came that you and i may have peace and have it abundantly he came that you and i might have life and have it abundantly not just a little life not just a little freedom Not just a little forgiveness, but abundant, total, complete. It's a choice. It's your choice. Choose wisely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand and sing our...